0: Welcome to UN Catch-Up Dateline Geneva, your 15-minute review of international news from the United Nations. It's great to have you with us. My name is Daniel Johnson and in today's show, an alert over escalating violence in Yemen, the latest on the inspection of the rusting oil-filled supertanker that's floating off the country's coast, and an appeal over new coronavirus victims to the authorities in Sri Lanka. We'll also be hearing from regular guests Solange Berthegui-Cortez and Alfa Diallo. Stay tuned, it's all coming up.
1: This has been the most severe crisis for the world of work since the Great Depression of the 1930s. Its impact is far greater than that of the global financial crisis of 2009. When comparing with the last quarter of 2019, we now see that 8.8% of global working hours were lost in the course of the year. And that is the equivalent of 255 million full-time jobs.
0: That's Guy Ryder, Director General of the International Labour Organization, ILO, launching a new report this week showing that the impact of COVID has been a whole four times worse than the last major financial crisis over a decade ago. So what are some of these solutions for job seekers now? With expert labour market insight and great advice for anyone looking for work now and in future, here's Dorothea Schmidt-Klau, ILO number cruncher and one of the co-authors of the agency's latest Future of Work report.
1: There is a whole- that this crisis leads to a shift in mind, for example, when it comes to environmental issues. So young people who are still in the process of getting their skills, they should really look out. Maybe this is an area where they can find job opportunities. And we have seen many countries making promises in this regard. Also things like green technologies, green business, etc.
0: So what is going to bring this shift, the ILO says, that we need to bring workers back in in all sectors
1: of course if you want to have a process towards building back better towards building back more inclusive towards building back greener of course you need a shift in policies and again policies that accompany this process because this is not necessarily going to come from the individuals it's going to come from the societies as a whole and this needs to be fostered by policies in place You're not going to shift immediately 100% from one sector to another sector, but you need to have a plan, you need to have a strategy on how to move from A to B. That's very important and that's what all governments need to focus on and they need to communicate this strategic shift so that people actually have a chance to make a choice based on solid policies and based on solid promises.
0: But where is the money to pay for this?
1: Well, that's a very good question. In the long run, structural transformation processes will, of course, pay off. But given that we had to invest already a lot of money to just soften the impact of the current crisis, it is going to be difficult. And I'm saying that living in a very rich country, Um, Of course, if we talk about the countries who don't have these means, it's going to ask for a lot of international solidarity to actually make sure that they recover as well. It cannot just be about us. It cannot just be about developed economies recovering, because if they don't recover, we are not going to recover. So we need a level of international solidarity, which maybe has never been seen before. All this, given that even in the richest countries there is a limit to how much debts you can actually make, so we will have to see how things go, how quickly economies recover. We were surprised how quickly they recovered in the in, in the third quarter last year, because at the end of the day, economies, most economies, are healthy. This is not like in the financial crisis. Most economies are still healthy enough to actually recover quickly. But the longer the crisis lasts, the more difficult it will be. And the more difficult it will be to find the resources.
0: Thank you, Dorothea Schmidt-Klau. Last question then to you. As the International Labour Organization, you're in touch with employers, trades unions, workers the world over. And you're saying, you're suggesting that we need something really radical to bring about a recovery, build back better, you say. So what is the sense that there's going to be, quote unquote, new deal brought by global solidarity? Because, you know, we've had the UN Secretary General saying that we haven't seen enough of it. And we've seen that with vaccines. So what chances are there of it happening for Labour?
1: You know, even before the crisis, the ILO came out with a future of work declaration. And as you rightly say, when we come out with a declaration, it's carried by employers, workers, and governments. So they all agreed on what they want the future of labor markets to look like. And every single country of all our member countries and employers of these countries and workers signed this document. The most important thing is these changes only happen when they are carried by the entire society, and that means what we call social dialogue is the key thing. We need to have everybody on board, but we also need everybody to take their responsibilities And for that to happen, we need to trust each other, we need to talk to one another, we need to have debates. But as I said, if you look at the document, you see that it is possible to come up with an idea of what we want the future to look like. And this future will be much more human-centered, it will have a human face, it will be based on the rights of people, It will be based on people's desires and wishes, and that's the only way we can move forward.
0: There's always been, there certainly is data showing that people haven't recovered from the last economic crisis. So how long is it likely to take us to recover from COVID?
1: The important question is how long will governments actually continue their policy to invest in softening the impact of the crisis. One of the big problems of the last crisis, of the financial crisis, was that many countries stopped too early. They stopped at a point where it was exactly when those disadvantaged groups were just about to move back into labor markets, but without the support, they were just left behind. So it is very important that policies continue to soften the impact of the crisis and continue to invest into future industries and future sectors that we want to see it's not going to happen automatically
0: so we're talking sorry a decade two decades
1: much less than a decade for many groups and many sectors but we do talk about a decade when we talk about the disadvantaged sectors and also the disadvantaged people
0: Thanks to Dorothea Schmidt-Klau from the International Labour Organization there, on the greatest crisis faced by the world of work since the Great Depression. You can hear the full interview on UN News forward slash Audio Hub, by the way. Now the news. Civilians in Yemen's Hadeda Governorate face a growing threat from escalating clashes and shelling of residential areas, which is endangering thousands. The warning from the UN's senior humanitarian official in the country, Oka Lutzma, follows an uptick in fighting since mid-January. In the last three months of 2020, 153 civilian casualties were reported in the Western Governorate, the highest number across the country. Women and children have been the main victims, and scores of houses and farms have also been damaged in southern districts of the Governorate, Mr Lutzma said in a statement. At least 700 people have been displaced to date, and the conflict continues to exert misery on millions of lives, said Mr Lutzma, who called for an immediate end to hostilities so that humanitarians can conduct needs assessments and provide crucial medical support to wounded civilians. In a related development, the long-awaited inspection of a rusting oil tanker off the coast of Yemen has been postponed until early March, the United Nations has said. The news follows administrative delays involved in securing the necessary international shipping documentation for the mission, which has now been resolved, UN spokesperson Stefan Dujaric said on Wednesday. The 44-year-old Safer supertanker holds 1.1 million barrels of oil. Fears of an environmental catastrophe increased last May, when the tanker sprang a leak. It was abandoned in 2015 off the coast of Hodeida when its engine room flooded with seawater, leaving it under the nominal control of Houthi militants, formerly known as Ansar Allah, who are fighting the internationally recognised Yemeni government. Sticking to the new inspection timeline would depend upon the cooperation of the Houthis, Mr Dujaric said. The Sri Lankan government should end its policy of compulsorily cremating victims of COVID-19, UN human rights experts said on Monday. Special rapporteurs Ahmed Shahid, Fernand de Varens, Clément Nialetsossi-Voul and Talaleng-Mofokeng said that the practice was contrary to the beliefs of Muslims and other minorities. It ran the risk of increasing prejudice, intolerance and violence, they said in a statement, insisting that no medical or scientific evidence indicated that burying the deceased increased the chance of spreading diseases such as the new coronavirus. To date, more than 270 COVID 19 deaths have been reported in Sri Lanka, many from the minority Muslim community. All of the deceased were cremated in line with amended health guidelines for victims of the virus, which were issued last March. Now, as ever, it's time to wrap up this week's UN Catch Up podcast. So I'm happy to say hello once again to our regular guests, Solange Bejotege Cortes and Alpha Diallo from the Information Service at UN Geneva.
2: Hola, Dan. Hola, Alpha.
3: Bonjour, Solange. Hello,
0: Dan. It's lovely to hear your voices again. Tell me, Solange, how does this ILO report tally with what's happening in Latin America?
2: Well, the data produced by the International Labour Organization puts numbers on a picture that we already know. In the case of Latin America, where I'm from, a high percentage of informal work is done by the most vulnerable women and young workers, This report reflects the fact that most people need to work to survive. What we just heard is that the impact of COVID has dramatically intensified inequalities, and we have the data to prove it. The question is, what we do with all that data? I've always been bad at maths, and I don't hide from you that so many numbers confuse me. I know that we need data to make transparent decisions, to act guided by evidence. But let us not forget that behind each number, there is a human being with a name, a life, and expectations. Last week, here on UN Kajab, we talked about the urgency of eradicating the work of children, Now it's time to give those children's parents a job so they can integrate into school and have a normal life. And if they can't find a job, the ILO and even the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has called for greater global solidarity to help poorer countries to support their people in the short and longer term. It's time to move from uncertainty to trust.
0: That is the big challenge. Thank you, Solange, for that. And it is worth repeating that the UN chief has welcomed the G20 Group of Wealthy Nations' decision to extend the suspension of debt repayments by some developing countries so that they can continue to support their health and social services throughout the pandemic. Mr Guterres also said that he would push for an extension of these repayments all year. He also called for the exemption to apply to all developing and middle-income countries in need, including small island developing states. And to you, Alpha, we know that the outbreak has disrupted some sectors more than others, particularly tourism, hospitality and manufacturing. On the African continent, and more particularly in sub-Saharan countries, you found an interesting World Bank survey using mobile phones that's confirmed the ILO finding that many people lost hope that they would find a job at all last year. So they basically gave up looking.
3: Exactly, Dan. This World Bank study shows the impact of the pandemic in Ethiopia, Malawi, Nigeria, and Uganda. Many people simply stopped working because of COVID-19 disruption. By June, in Nigeria, 45% of people had stopped working, which is a frightening statistic, almost one in two. In Uganda, 17% had no work. In Ethiopia, it's 8%, and in Malawi, 6%. Let's not forget that about 80% of workers in the region are informal, so they have next to no protection against the effect of COVID-19.
0: Frightening, as you say. Any other findings worth mentioning?
3: Yes, Dan. In all four countries, more urban jobs were lost than in rural areas. For example, Nigeria reported that more than half of people with urban jobs stopped working compared to 40% of rural workers. Uganda and Ethiopia followed the same pattern. To deal with the situation and help the most at risk, several African countries have announced supports plan. To make this happen, they are calling for massive support from the international community and the reduction of their external debt. So roughly, they want a Marshall Plan for Africa.
0: And with that, I think it's time to wrap up the show. Thank you, Solange Behaltega-Cortez and Alfa Diallo from the UN Information Service for being here at a distance still. And many thanks, listeners, too, for staying with us and following what's been making the headlines at the United Nations this week. This has been UN Catch-Up Dateline Geneva. I'm Daniel Johnson. Until next time, (music) bye-bye.